God, we love you. We thank you for your love uh, just for us. We thank you for a place to come together, to gather in your name, a place to come together as people along the way, a place to come together as people with questions, with doubts, with hurts, with joys, with victories, with defeats, and just to come before you and just to rest, to come before your word and to say, God, my understanding is not mine. I want my understanding to to be molded and shaped to yours. I don't want to create you in my image. I was created in your image, God. So let your truth shape me. Let the gospel, the the work of Jesus in Christ transform me. Gospel is not just for our salvation and conversion. It's for our daily growth and maturing. Your your, Your word transforms, and so we come to it now. Lord, expectantly, God, let us not just sit through this time kind of with, with, with partially active minds and, and passive, passively listening ears, but, Lord, that we would understand that when we hear your word, we're hearing words of life. Lord, it's not my words. When I pray just that I would not be distracting in any way, and I pray that your work would be complete. God, we, we come before you just with much gratitude now for all you've done, all you're doing, all you've, you've called us to be a part of. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Excuse me. So I asked a couple of weeks ago as we were teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus was kind of starting to, to, to hit hard, as if he ever didn't. But he's starting to like, you know, really kind of hit, hit it to some of the re- religious people. And I asked this question. I said, when people think about Christians, what do they say about them? And, and overwhelmingly came out quickly that they're hypocritical. And that was the point of the sermon that day is like, hey, you know, that Jesus was teaching against the hypocritical expression of religiosity and calling people to, again, the, this sincere inward faith that then produces a fruit out of relationship. So I have that question again today, though. So we, we think about hypocrite quickly. What's the other word that comes to mind when you think of what, when the world, when people around think of the church and Christianity, what do they think of? Who said it? Judgmental. Being, I mean, would y'all agree? Is that kind of a common, a common ring when it comes to the church? Sadly. And I, and I say this, I say this to say that the world's not wrong all the time. They're not wrong all too often. I mean, they they write about this too often. The church, the church, the the the, the Christendom institution has earned these labels. They, they didn't just happen. I mean, it's not just because someone's eyes are veiled. It's because we're sinful people and we act like Pharisees. And sometimes we do it as a collective, but we don't have to, and we shouldn't. But that's where we're at today. So Jesus has been calling the church, uh, you know, those who are in him, those who have confessed Christ, as he's been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, he's been calling them to this sold-out life. Again, one that is coming from, from the inward condition, one that is coming from the transformed heart, mind, soul life, and not just this adhering to a way of life, not just living for the applause of man. That's what he's been teaching, the force of what he's been teaching all this time. He's been teaching to this sold-out life, a life where our yeses are yeses and our noes are noes, and they're in line with the will and truth of God for his glory. A life where we are all in. We've written this blank check and given it to God. A life where we live out the norms of life in his eternal kingdom. We all have social and cultural norms around you every day. In his kingdom, in his kingdom truth, there are these, there are these norms that we are called to live out. That's living, that's living faithfully and obediently under his glorious and good rule and reign. That's this life that Jesus has been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. 
And as we kind of come to this section in, in Matthew 7, Jesus just taught us about the, the, the effects of being consumed by the preoccupations of this world. And the two that he brought in view, the two preoccupations that he put before us really were the focus on money and the acquiring of things and the anxiety on the other side, the anxiety. So it's either the work of acquiring or the work of being anxious and to be consumed by the attaining of earthly things or to be wrecked, you know, just wrecked with the anxiety over losing these earthly things results in an apathy toward the things of God. I think it's interesting when we think about apathy because apathy, I think we kind of put it in this active category that we only, get, we only become apathetic by not caring. Like we have to choose to not care, but it's actually, can, we can become apathetic by actually choosing to care about other lesser things more. And by, by default, we become apathetic about these things that matter. So when we choose, when, we, when we're consumed by these things, whether it's the attaining or the anxiety of losing we grow apathetic towards just God's glory. Like, again, is that a motivator? Like, are we motivated for God's glory being made known in me, through me, through you? Are you motivated by that, or is that some far-off thing? And if it's far-off, that's not necessarily an implication. That might be just a, a, the perfect place for you to be as you grow and mature, but know that that's not where it should remain. If you're a mature Christ follower, if you've been walking with Christ for, for a while and you've been growing and you, and you understand that that's the number one motivation, then hear it as a charge. Repent. There's no, there's no greater motivator. Other things we become apathetic towards is the promise of his kingdom rule and reign being fully restored and the returning Christ and the hope that we should be clinging to and the hope that we should be proclaiming in Christ. There is no greater hope in all the world. Another is the salvation and redemption of mankind presently through Jesus. And if you get that, not only does it empower, not, not only does it fill you up, not only does it just, again, compel you, spur you on, it also just stirs your heart, opens your eyes, opens your ears, and aims your life towards the hurting and the seeking and the dying and the lost. You become apathetic to those things when you're preoccupied by the things of this world, whether the attaining or the anxiety of losing. I've heard it said, if, if the devil's not able to destroy the Christian's witness by making them apathetic, he will try to do it by making him a fanatic. Again, maybe you see the train of thought where we're going now. Jesus knew the danger of our misguided zealousness. He knew the danger that we are prone to point to self as opposed to him. He knew that we are, that we, that we are prone Again, to define truth by our means, by our emotions, by our sight, as opposed to his. And to, for us to inflict judgment by our hands. He'd seen it before. The people of Israel, just to remind you, they were God's chosen people. They were set apart for his holy purpose. God's covenant with them was meant so that his, his glory could be made known to all the world. But the people of Israel had taken that position of responsibility and made it a position of power and prestige. So we'd seen it before. Jesus is not just thinking ahead. He's, he, he knows his creation. So he's speaking to the heart of man that still has that same tendency. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 7. We are, man, we're coming down the, the home stretch of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, again, this is Jesus' first and longest recorded sermon in Scripture, and it's all about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the promise of the kingdom of heaven, and life described in the kingdom of heaven, both of its citizens and, his way of, and their way of life. So we're saying, what does Christ look like, and therefore what do those who are in Christ look like? To be in Christ is to be one who has believed and confessed that he is Lord and Savior, and saying your life is his. So we start with one of the most commonly misused and abused verses in all of Scripture. Matthew 7, 1. Let's read it. Here we go. Judge not that you be not judged. Now this is a sticky verse. It's kind of funny because you hear this, just this plain and simple, forceful, imperative instruction don't judge, or you will be judged. But then you look at the past, the whole part of Jesus' sermon up to this point is like, there is a right and a wrong, and you need to do right, and you need to help others do right. Like, it's kind of like what he's been getting at, but then he's like, but don't judge, or you're going to be judged. And when I, when I read this, I mean, I've only, I've, I just hear, I think of all the times I've heard it just thrown back in my face, or I've, or I've thrown it back in other people's faces, and this, this kind of shield deflecting conviction or shield of deflecting truth. And I think of, of, of just the common cry of, you know, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Or the other side, the personal side, hey, who am I to judge? And that's where we think we're left at with this passage, just with this, this one little sentence. And we live in a world that cries foul when there's an opposing view at all, Right? I mean, it's, it is difficult to speak an absolute truth without someone throwing a flag on you. You know, whatever it is. I mean, just, I, I think about, like, just the social media and YouTube and blogs and the comment section. And I, I, I've always just disdained these Twitter rants and arguments and, and these comment fights. And I got sucked in one time. It's YouTube. I watched a YouTube video. And it was the song, Hallelujah, you know, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, that song. And, and it was Leonard Cohen who wrote the song, amazing musician, amazing songwriter. It was his version of the song. I watched it, and I felt like I was watching the Muppet Show intro just by the style of it. And then he did this, like, talk singing thing. And I was like, ugh. And I, I had only heard Jeff Buckley's version up to that point, which is by far the best rendition of all time. Um, much respect to Mr. Buckley. Um, and I was reading these comments of like people, this is by far, they're, they're claiming that this is the best one. And I was indignant. I was like, this, I will not stand for this. And it might have been that it was like 1.30 a.m. I don't know. But I was like, so I just start typing. And I'm like, I'm just blowing it all out of the water. I'm like, he didn't even sing. He's talking. He looks like Leonard Nimoy. And like, I don't know, like I just going all off on this. And I got sucked in. And I was like, Jeff Buckley's the only version. Da, 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 da. And like, why did I bring that up? Uh, I don't know. It was just, I mean, just thinking about like how everyone is so convinced of their own reality and needing to enforce their truth. And we just, just kind of the world we live in. I mean, there's just, there's just kind of these value judgments applauded every reality TV, all the, all the singing shows, all of the voting off the island shows. It's all like, hey, here's my judgment on you and it's right, you know? And so like we just, it's, I mean, it, it's not that the world's finally 
proving true the scripture. The scripture was true, and we're just seeing it played out in the world once again. But, but so it's around us all the day, I mean, all, all the time, and it's just reinforced that it's the right way. But it's not. We're get, let, let's, let's work through this. This verse can't be saying that there is no place for the judgment of right and wrong. It can't. I mean, you look at Scripture, New Testament, over and over again, and we're exhorted to, to confront wrong and to discern right. I mean, Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, which means you see a wrong, a sin in them, you see it, you have ascertained and discerned that it's wrong. If you see a transgression in them, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus himself, in this passage today, just a few verses from now, he tells us we should have an understanding of these things and confront each other when, when, when there's wrong. Matthew 7, 5, like the, the latter half of verse 5 says, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, that's a work on behalf of someone else who you see is wrong. So let's go ahead and jump in as we're kind of trying to kind of see this, this apologetic for this, not only this freedom, but actually this command, this imperative to to discern truth. Let's kind of jump to the end of our passage today, and we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of pull it out of place and look here and look at verse 6. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This verse seems so out of place when you read it. You're like, okay, judge, so you don't judge, okay, measure, measure, okay, specks and logs, and now we're talking about pigs and dogs and pearls, and I just had the diamonds and pearl songs from Prince come in my mind, and I missed that guy already. Um, it's one of those kind of mornings. Uh, but it just seems so out of place, you know, and, and, and we, uh, why, why did Jesus go there? I mean, it's not exactly a, a, a continued cohesive thought, but it is related. Why did he go there? And, and I'll say this, this verse it shows that Jesus understands the perils of, of the teaching that he has just brought us to. He's just been teaching about the perils of judgment, but he doesn't want us to become ineffectual and passive and relativist in, in, our, in, our, in our desire to, to kind of walk in this life in the right way. And we're going to unpack what right judgment is in a minute. But verse 6 is a reminder that results from Jesus' previous teaching of loving your enemies, which he said, and also not judging. He doesn't want to leave us to fall to the possibility of turning into undiscerning simpletons that just make sure we do right and don't work on behalf of others, taking light to darkness, snatching your brother out of the fires of hell. Reality. The dogs and the pigs of verse 6 are not your domesticated version of these animals that we know and love today. Amber, my wife, used to have a potbelly pig that she loved, and it just, it was sweet. It was, their, it was like their family, and we grew up, grew up with dogs. These are not those. These are wild and vicious animals that, were, that are in view here. And so we're, we're thinking about the, this, this, have that picture that there is a violent and, and, and aggressive response from these animals. Uh, we, at the same time, we can't take this verse to excuse us from evangelizing the truth 
of God from proclaiming the truth. And also, we can't look at these animals to represent all who do not believe in Jesus as Savior. It's not this elitist view. We're not saying all who don't believe. It's not, you know, it's not that we're not labeling all infidels here or, 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 or animals. But there is a teaching here that Jesus is bringing us to. So what is that? So as you'll see as we're unpacking Jesus' lesson here on judgment, the work of discerning and declaring right and wrong is, is a perilous one, but one that must be done. The, the, the Lord calls each of us independently, and, and, and we're all called to be obedient in this declaration of truth. And he's working. So just as that happened for you, we understand that that's happening in the world around us, those he's called us to engage. So we see this, this again, this call to discernment, this call to, to not, not uh, just beat your head up against the wall. Because what we're talking about here is that person, that, that person who is, is, is violently opposed to. And I don't just mean that, that they're, you know, we should avoid martyrdom if the Lord calls you to that extent of faithfulness. But just, I think about... Um, a, a time that I walked into um, um, an organization, uh, and I'm trying to think of how to tell the story right without divulging too much, but I, I, I went in there to build a relationship, and they, they, this was not a Christian organization, kind of other side, uh, opposing views, and they found out I was a pastor of a church, and immediately just wanted to fight, immediately just wanted to, to dig, 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 uh, not interested in conversation, not interested in healthy discourse, just wanted to fight, asking questions just so that they had something else to come back at me with. And, and I could have sat there and debated, and I love a debate. I love a debate. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, and uh, I, I, I actually really would have really enjoyed just debating with him. But knowing what God has called us to and knowing what was going to be productive in that moment, like, before we proclaim any truth, we're supposed to love. And I was like, I can't proclaim truth right now in a loving way. And it's not going to be received as love. And I just had to, like, hey, I just had to graciously find an out and say, love you, have a nice day. And go, like, that would have been the picture of this verse, like, throwing pearls to swine. That would have been the idea of kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's like, hey, be loving Go, notice that it doesn't say don't go, it says go, but like, look at these other verses, sorry, Let me, let's look at these other verses to kind of see this picture. Matthew 10, 14 says that Jesus is talking to his disciples as he's sending them out to preach the gospel. He says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So he's saying like, hey, do your part, be obedient, I do the rest, I'm the one that calls man in, I'm the, 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 the grace uh, my grace expressed in Christ and that transforming truth is what will transform them. And I am working on them independently. I've called you to be obedient to go. He doesn't say don't go. That's, uh, that, that, where we would be, that would be the withholding of the love and the truth. We want to be loving, to go proclaim truth, but yet with great discernment, if it's, if it's just this, this, this venomous, non-productive, unloving thing, like, and we see that we can't continue in that way, Jesus is saying, hey, with discernment, as I lead, you know, hey, you've done your part. You can know you're obedient. I will keep working. We see it in Proverbs 9, 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So just that, that you see the principle there. So yes, we are to love our enemies and not cast the wrong kind of judgment, but not just be mindless as we do. We should be discerning. It's the Holy Spirit in us leading.
So we can know that this is not saying we should not judge at all, but it is definitely saying that there is a faithful way and a sinful way to judge. So how do we know the difference? Before we get to that, I keep, I keep teasing you a little bit on purpose. just want to build the tension. Before we get to that, we see Jesus giving this foundational understanding or a theological understanding, if you will, of, of this instruction that he's given us of don't, of don't judge or you will be judged. We see that he said, just, you know, he's done, this, he's done this over and over again throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He roots his teaching in our eternal identity in Christ and in our eternal work achieved by Christ. He's calling us to remember the promise of the fully transforming work that he achieves and achieved. What is that? Here's his instruction. His, uh, his this theological foundational understanding in Matthew 7, 2. It says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And let me just tell you right now, that is the gospel. You're like, how? Let me tell you really quick. So if you recall our teaching through the Beatitudes, if you were here, or if you weren't, I'll just kind of give you a broad view. This verse is much like that. The Beatitudes are the whole, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the... The, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will see God. So they read as these conditional clauses. If you do this, you get that. But remember, if you were here or if you weren't, they're not conditional clauses. They are describing the character and the activity of Christ as well as those who are in Christ. So because you are in Christ, you've been made new, you've been transformed. This is the new you. Express it. And there's a promise in that. So it's that same idea. This isn't some conditional clause that, okay, so whatever you dole out, you're going to get. There's pieces of truth in that, but that's not the foundational truth here. This is Jesus calling us to remember the way in which we are and were judged. How were we judged? Look at this verse. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What was the measure that you were judged? If you are redeemed in Christ... Because remember, God is our heavenly Father and our just judge. And what is a just judge? A just judge always acquits the, anyone? Innocent and condemns the guilty. A just judge always does that. A just judge never condemns the innocent and acquits the guilty. That is not just. And so, for, but yet for God to remain just, but yet find us innocent, he didn't, he didn't throw his standard out. He satisfied it. So what measure of judgment was measured to you in Christ? It wasn't you, remember? It was the merit of his son, Jesus. And so all of a sudden now we're in this teaching, we're hearing the gospel. It's like that, which he's like saying, this is how you judge rightly. Measure, you measure upon the same measure that was given to you. And in my great love and foreknowledge and grace, I accredited my son's righteousness, Jesus, to you so that you could be right, so that you could be innocent. It wasn't that I just threw out your, your, your wrongdoing. I, well, I didn't just throw out your sin and say, oh, forget, you know, forget about it. You know, and brush it under the rug. If you're here last week, you know what just happened in my head. Um, but he, he's like, no, I'm actually going to rule justly. There is, there is a conviction needed. Jesus paid the price for you. He, was, he took your death. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness and his life. 
And so that's all of a sudden being proclaimed here. And so now we see that those who are in Christ, those who are caught up in his purpose, those who are meant to be God's image bearers, fully restored in Christ, all of a sudden we're supposed to judge like that too. The measure in which we show should reflect the measure that was shown to us. This kind of judgment we're being warned against is that self-righteous judgment, the judgment that puts you on the throne. The judgment that puts you the decider of right and wrong. The judgment that puts you on the, uh, in, the, in the seat of the jury of, of, of doling out the sentence. Again, think back to the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit was to understand your absolute need for Jesus. To be dependent, to understand that, you know, first you were broken in your sin and you had no way of even even coming out of that being dead in sin. It was only because of Christ that you were made alive and able to respond and because of God choosing you. But then also the fact that you live in freedom. You are in need for the breath of that every day, the life of that every day. And he's saying, remember that. Be, remember, cling to that. Don't, you know, it's not like this one and done thing. Yes, you're saved and secure, but yet that's not the extent of what God's promise is for you. You're also called into fellowship and purpose with him right now. And so remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who remember their need. Blessed are those who, who are, are humbled in their sin. And, and give thanks to God for his grace. The measure at which you use the judgment will be measured to you. So now all of a sudden, the view of what kind of judgment is right, is it a judgment that realizes, wait, I am guilty. I did not do any of this on my own. My knowledge, my right standing, my, my, purpose, my purpose, I didn't do it on my own. I have no place to, be, to sit in a lofty seat what do we deserve? We deserve condemnation. We don't deserve acquittal. God is absolutely just, and his judgment is always right and always carried out. So we must see that our judgment to be right, it must align with the posture and purpose of God's judgment. So really, what it comes down to is that we realize that judgment is not ours, but the Lord's. Okay? So we're getting there. To kind of give you another perspective on this truth, we look at Romans 2, 1 through 4 in Paul's letter to them. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We are in Christ. For those who are in Christ, you are made new. You are no longer sinless because the blood of Christ has washed you clean and his righteousness is on you. But you don't stop sinning. Remember? But the key is that sinning is no longer your identity. It's now just an activity. But it's still an activity. And so to cast judgment in a way to say, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm still not a sinner. We are sinners still as far as in our activity. And so we cannot place ourselves in some place above saying, oh, no, no, no. I, I, have, I am worthy to cast judgment because we're not worthy. Only God is. We must understand that there's a difference between discernment and condemnation. That is the warning. Like I said, condemnation is not ours to give. 
Jesus takes this theological understanding of judgment and helps us apply it through an example. So let's look at it real quick here. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. So now he's kind of unpacking this, giving us a picture here. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So let's start real quick with the metaphor here of the speck and the log. And it is a metaphor, and it's very hyperbolic. I mean, Jesus is, is being exaggerative on purpose. Because when we, when we look at these words of speck and log, I mean, like the speck is this, 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 I mean, like just piece of dust. I mean, it's just tiny. Like it's, it's a, just almost imperceptible. And then to see log, like log is, there's a lot of room for interpretation because like I'm hiking, and if there's a four-inch, you know, like tree, like limb across the you know, pathway, like I would say I'm stepping over a log. You know, I, I, I announce that every time I do. No, I don't. Um, I would think, I, I, I would think that. I don't know. But again, like, but that's, that isn't the picture. So like this log is like, it's, it's like this beam right here. The, the, this huge, massive eye beam. And so it's like, you know, you're so concerned about this little, almost imperceptible speck, but yet you've got this glaring problem. Like he's being exaggerative on purpose. So that's, that's, the, that's kind of the force of what Jesus is pointing at. So let's start there. So what is he saying? First, he's not saying that you're only able to confront another's wrong if your sin is smaller. That's not what he's saying. It's not some, some quantitative measuring stick. So as if it would be okay if you were the one with the speck and they were the one with the log. He doesn't say whittle your log down to something manageable and then go get the speck out. He says get rid of it. Get rid of the log in your eye. If it were that, this would deny the very work of grace in Jesus the very work of his transforming, saving work. We must remember that all, everyone has missed God's measure. His standard is perfection and holiness. His standard is his character. We were created in his image, meant to be his image bearers in full. In the fall, in the rebellion, in our sin, in our marred image, we have fallen way short. Again, reminding you that word for sin is an archery term, and it, and it is, that word sin is the description of any arrow that missed the dead center. So if you are a millimeter off the dead center, you sin. If you missed the target entirely, it's the same word. Okay? So we're talking about that. We've all missed the center. We are not God's full image bearers because we have fallen and we have sinned. So it cannot be a matter of measuring sin or the lack thereof, because God's measure is guilty or innocent. And we are all guilty, and as we already said, praise God, let's just cling to it. Jesus gave us his innocence. So Jesus is once again speaking into our misguided preoccupations here. The speck in others' eyes are distracting preoccupations from what we should be focusing on. What are some of those areas in which we become distracted and, and often extend wrongful judgments. And I think first, I'm just starting, since we started with kind of talking about those that are not, 
you know, a part of the church, those who are not Christ followers, those who would, who would look at the church and at Christians and call that them. We get our, our, our wrongful, distracted preoccupation on that spec is that we, we kind of take this discompassionate posture of judgment to those who don't believe. And, and when in doing that, what you're doing is somehow giving yourself credit for your redemption, for your surrender. And let's just remember Ephesians 2, we are all dead in sin, unable to respond. Dead people don't raise their hand. They don't reach for help. They don't take another breath. They can't just spontaneously do CPR on themselves. We did not overcome that. So when all of a sudden we cast judgment on those who do not believe in Christ, those who are not walking, those who are not a part of his church, we somehow place ourselves in a seat that we are somehow responsible for our own salvation and redemption. And by the way, it's just not the love of God. It's not greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commands matter, but they come out of those. All the other truths matter, but they come out of those. So you want to love first? You want to love well? You want to proclaim truth well? Condemnation is not a part of it. It's not ours to give. And when it is, we, we, we all of a sudden have taken away God's sovereign goodness and said it's ours. So that's the first spec that we get preoccupied with. And then we kind of come into the church. And man, I'll tell you, we have an amazing community. We have an amazing family. We have extremely intentional people. And I, I'm so thankful. And I'll just talk about me. I'll talk about me. One of the specs I get preoccupied with is when someone else doesn't share the same conviction I do. When someone else doesn't feel the same urgency that I do about something. When someone else doesn't have the same understanding of a conviction or the same passion for a need. I get frustrated. And there is an extremely sad irony to this. My call as a pastor, shepherd, elder is to build up and equip the church for God's glory and his kingdom work. But because of my preoccupations with other people's specs, because of my sin, I actually can end up resenting the very people. Hey, like if, if my call is to build up, it should be a given that someone doesn't get it yet or someone doesn't share the conviction. And not to say that, again, we don't all have the same like, areas of affinity and passion. It's by design. That's the body of Christ. It's the great diversity of his, of his gospel work through us. And so the very thing that should, be, that should be a call to purpose in my life of going and pouring into others, the very thing that should be a call to compassion because I remember of what it took for God to get me there becomes a source of resentment and bitterness. And so with great grace and patience, we've got to walk alongside one another, stir each other up to good works, as it says in his word. Not beat each other down till we give in to each other. Not cast stones with our minds or with our words, but with great patience and love, walk alongside and stir one another up. Another speck that I see in the church that we come preoccupied with is gossip. Gossip. We call them prayer requests sometimes. Um, 
Some prayer requests are legit, some are not. But I'll tell you, man, this kind of judgment, it, it doesn't live if it doesn't have a place to be shared. And gossip is that place that this judgment just thrives. And we say, hey, I'm really concerned for so-and-so. We need to pray for them. Oh, really? What's going on? What did you hear? Da, 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 da. You know, we need to pray for them. And we, oh, yeah? How did that happen? Well, you see, they, they, they cuss at their boss, but we need to pray for them. Like that, you know, like, and some, like that's just the good ones. Like sometimes we just don't even say we need to pray for them. We just talk about them. You know, and, and so like gossip, it is just toxic and it's dangerous. And again, is it loving? No. How can you know if it's gossip? And I think that's a common question. Well, is this gossip or not? First off, if you're asking that question, probably is, okay? Just saying. That's just, just, just play it safe. Secondly, let's talk about some just quick, quick practical things to help us discern if it's gossip or not. One, is it helpful? Is you sharing this helpful? Not just to your ego that you're in the know or that you know some dish about somebody, but is it helpful? Is it, again, participating in God's redeeming work? Is it yours to share? How do you know this? Do you have permission to share? Do they ask you to share? Are you acting on behalf of? Again, remember, we are in Christ, not just for secure, secure for eternity, but also in his purpose. He's our advocate. Are you an advocate? And I'll tell you what, if you find yourself in a situation that there's gossip, just do that person a favor and nip it in the bud. Say, hey, I love you. Love you. I appreciate your concern, but I, I'm just not comfortable with this. Or, hey, you know what? Or if you just want to go there, hey, I kind of feel like this is gossip. Can we, you know, is, this, is there a reason that we need to be talking about this? That would be awkward, but it will be for everybody's good and for God's glory. So let's just commit to that. If someone has something to say behind someone's back, say, hey, you know what? Let's go talk to them right now. Let's call them. Let's call them. And I mean it. Like, do it. Okay? Like, don't just say, oh, that's funny. I like that idea. That'd be cool. Like, do it. Like, you want to you nip this in the bud? Do that. It'll, so anyway, just some good practical truth for us right there. But yeah, like, that's another speck that we get distracted by and we become preoccupied. But that's not all there is to it. We're coming to the home stretch here. <clears throat> Those are the symptoms of the greater truth. So what is this big truth here? We see a clue in verse 3 when it says, why do you see? It says, why do you see the speck? That word see is this word blepo in the Greek. And that word is to see or to behold, to focus on, to behold. It's also in the present and active tense. So it's actively happening and it's being pursued. Elsewhere in Scripture, when we see blepo used in this same kind of position of grammar, it's the, the predicate form, we often see it in, in, in the sense of like beholding, taking in intently, like being, being like just affixed, focusing on. So therefore here when we see this, it's saying, why do you focus on the sins of others and then to continue instead of your own need? That's basically what we're driving at here. The biggest truth and the main point of Jesus' hyperbolic contrast of specks and logs is not the quantitative valuation of our sin, but rather he is pointing out the gravity of our need to be concerned with our own right standing before him. Right standing in Christ that he achieved, being grateful, being humble. Right standing in relationship with him in the way that we pursue and live faithful, obedient lives as he makes his way known, taking that next step of obedience, which then leads to right standing in our actions. The life that lives out life, that shows life in the kingdom, shows people a picture of, a, of our glorious God and, and his kingdom reign. 
So as we stated at the beginning, it's a matter of preoccupations. So what is your greatest concern? Are you more concerned with being right and elevated above mankind? Are you more concerned with glorifying God and seeing his kingdom and offering and, and, and discerning and pursuing truth in a way that brings glory to him and redemption to the world? So to review as we close, our judgment should never lead to condemnation. Only God has the authority for that. Remember what it is to be poor in spirit. Remain humble. And your greatest concern is you. Live faithful, obedient lives abounding in love for God and for all people. Walk in relationship with the Lord in a passionate pursuit. Let the truth of God lived out in your life bring people to him. And God, the just judge and heavenly father, will always, always, always acquit the innocent and condemn the guilty. And it's not your job. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today, for a time to come together, Lord, as Again, as a people, we thank you for your truth, God, and we thank you that the measure of which you judged us was not our measure, because we should be condemned. But you looked at us, and because you sent Jesus, and he gave his blood, and he sacrificed, he took our wrath, he took our sin, he took our pain, he took our condemnation, Lord, in him. You gave us his standing. You gave us his righteousness that we could be innocent before you. And you gave us his purpose. So as we live just passionate for your glory and truth in this world, let us live in a way that does not put us in the seat of judgment. Let us live in a way that does not put us in the seat of, of, of judging uh, who gets condemned and who doesn't. But for us all to remember the work that it took in Christ for us to come to a place of redemption just to live out truth in a way that is inviting, that is proclaiming boldly, but yet humbly and respectfully, seeing your glory made known through lives surrendered. So we continue uh, just to worship now in our time of communion as we remember the work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.